reading is from Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28 to 40. This is the triumphal entry. Luke chapter 19, beginning at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, Jesus replied, if they keep quiet, the stones themselves will cry out. This is the word of the Lord. Hello again. Well, I'm going to begin with a joke, and today I'm venturing into slightly more adventurous territory, okay? I've made fun of men a few times, so I'm going to try and redress the balance. I might live to regret it. Jones came into the office an hour late for the third time in one week and found the boss waiting for him. What's the story This time, Jones, he asked sarcastically, let's hear a good excuse for a change. Well, Jones sighed. Well, everything went wrong this morning, boss. My wife decided to drive me to the station. She got ready in ten minutes, but then the road was closed. Rather than let you down, I swam across the river, ran out to the airport, got a ride on Alan Sugar's helicopter, and then was carried here by piggyback by one of Take That. Well, you're going to have to do better than that, Jones, said his boss. No woman can get ready in ten minutes. (laughs) Well, you did laugh. 
just like we laughed, I suppose, at all my other jokes. But um, it's, uh, it's uh, one of those things, isn't it? Arriving can be a good thing, but it can also be quite a taxing thing. Today's reading from the Bible is about an arrival, but it's no ordinary arrival. Several weeks ago, when we, as a family, arrived at our hotel in Hong Kong, I remember being struck by the amazing nighttime view across the harbour from the hotel foyer. I mean, people said that we would be struck by this, but it really is quite an unmistakable and brilliant sight. And after dinner, we went for a stroll along the promenade, and we took in the view, looking out towards Hong Kong Island and uh, where we were going to explore the very next day. And our excitement increased. We were really getting into this, and we couldn't wait to go and explore. Well, today we've heard words from the Bible that for most of us will be incredibly familiar. The part of Luke's gospel story that tells of an arrival. Jesus' triumphant arrival in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus and his fellow Passover pilgrims, they've been on what can only be described as an epic journey across country. And as we join this journey and the story at this point, they reach the top of the hill called the Mount of Olives. Now, the chatter of the pilgrims must have intensified as they realized that their epic journey to the Passover was nearing its conclusion. The heat must have taken its toll on them. But now they move from barren desert into the lush green slopes at springtime, a little bit like outside here. The writer, Luke, manages to paint an excellent picture from his words, one that enables us to enter into the events as if we were pilgrims accompanying Jesus on his cross, presumably That's his whole purpose, so that we can go with Jesus on his journey to Jerusalem, but not just to there, beyond to the cross. Luke wants us to recognize that this is a royal occasion. Did you happen to see that uh, wonderful program called Our Queen Uh, a couple of weeks ago? I think it was a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? Um, Kate and I managed to watch it in about 10, 8-minute Uh, clips because it was the only time we could manage. We snatched a bit of time here and a bit of time there. But in in the end, finally we finished watching it. But it was great because this program followed the Queen during last year. A great year to follow her. And that's presumably why they did. In 2012, of course, there were many royal occasions. Not least a number of key state uh, banquets. Each event had to be carefully planned and staged. Tables laid to the millimeter, seating plans meticulously ordered, menus prepared. The royal occasion Luke describes is about as different as it could possibly get, but still this occasion is carefully planned and it's carefully staged because Jesus wants to make exactly the right point. The mode of transport chosen for his procession, his royal procession. Not a state carriage or a gleaming Bentley, but a donkey's colt. To describe this animal, Luke uses the same word used by the prophet Zechariah when describing the Messiah coming 
riding on a donkey. Listen to his words. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Luke doesn't want his readers or us to miss this important link. Jesus is the gentle, righteous and salvation-bringing king. Because look, he's coming, riding on a young donkey, just as the prophet foretold. And the disciples and the other followers of Jesus, they catch on. They grasp this royal theme really rather quickly. And they join in enthusiastically, Luke tells us, spreading their cloaks on the road in front of him. And so down they travel from the Mount of Olives, descending all the while. And the crowds start to sing as they go, like Christians used to do on the march for Jesus. Can you remember that? Did you join in with those? They were great occasions. But here the crowd wasn't singing a Graham Kendrick classic. He hadn't quite begun writing at that point. Instead, they chose a psalm records number by that well-known worship leader, King David. Psalm 118 was the song of their choice. A song of victory, a song of praise. A song that was always sung on a journey into Jerusalem for the Passover. A song that spoke of God's victory over his enemies and the building of his kingdom. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they sing. And the message is clear. Here comes the king, but no ordinary king. Not a king of terrifying physical force or overwhelming or unrivaled wealth. An unexpected king, gentle and riding on a donkey. And so Jesus comes as the fulfillment of his people's hopes, answering their aching desire for a king who would bring the peace of God here on earth. But King Jesus' arrival demonstrates that he's not at all the sort of king they imagine. And as we look more at Luke's picture and journey further with Jesus, we hear the grumblers too. They're still there. Have you ever noticed that grumblers are never far from Jesus? Here, it's the Pharisees who are going along with the crowd. And they suddenly get twitchy because they realize what might happen if the Roman authorities in Jerusalem realize that there's an extraordinary demonstration going on. A royal demonstration of messianic proportions. You can understand their unease. Jesus knows. Luke knows. And we all know what awaits this newly arrived king when he arrives in the city of Jerusalem. And it's not pretty. And of course, that's precisely why Jesus puts on this royal parade. This celebration is required because it shows that Jesus is coming to bring God's salvation through the giving of himself on the cross. The journey on a donkey hints at a far more demanding journey, a journey not into the city, but out of the city, towards the place called the skull, a journey of self-sacrifice and death. Because this king was born 
to die. But at that moment the crowd know nothing of this. The significance of it passes them by completely because they expect other things from Jesus. And if they had realized, then they would have been confused and anxious, which is precisely what they do become in a matter of days. And so thanks to Luke, we experience this extraordinary royal occasion as his readers, but as if we were pilgrims too along the way. And as we follow Jesus into Jerusalem, a number of questions present themselves to us. Are we just going along for the trip in the hope that Jesus will fulfill our hopes and our dreams? Are we ready to sing a song or a psalm of praise, but only as long as Jesus does what we want? There's no doubt that the long, often desert-like road of our lives gives us plenty of opportunity to sort out our motives for following Jesus. I can certainly say that's been true for me, and I'm sure it's going to continue. But are we ready, not just to do the easy, the showy, and gratifying thing of throwing our cloaks in front of him, but to follow him into controversy, trouble, and even death? This is the way that Jesus calls us to go. But all too often, we follow the easy route, We want to spend our whole time spreading our cloaks for Jesus, staying in the good times, getting the spiritual buzz, the worship high, the everything's all right feeling. We want Jesus to keep on arriving in Jerusalem, like a DVD stuck on a loop. And this puts pressure on the church, because we want to keep on providing opportunities for this to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then the sad thing is that people go in search in other places to satisfy their spiritual urges. There is great pressure on the church to provide spiritual gratification. And I think there's something very dangerous about this. Because the moment things get tough or difficult, then we naturally go in search of a more satisfying route. And yet Jesus calls us to follow him on the difficult and the demanding path to the cross, to be pilgrims of self-sacrifice, not gratification. We are to give, not get. It's as simple and as difficult as that. As pilgrims on the road of Jesus, how does this challenge you and me? What situations are you and I facing where we want to get something out of others, out of work, out of the relationships we have, out of the church, out of your church ministry or leadership. Because instead, Jesus is calling you to give as a mark of self-sacrifice, as a way of helping others to be pilgrims with him along the way of the cross, as a way of enabling others to experience the self-giving love of God. But I think a lot of us are stuck in a Palm Sunday loop, coming to church to lay down our cloaks, to sing a hymn of victory, to welcome the unexpected Messiah, to say our prayers. We're more than happy with that part, but Jesus calls us to journey with him. 
And that journey takes us much, much, much further. For followers of Christ, the praise of Palm Sunday leads on to the self-giving of Good Friday. Taking on demanding roles and responsibilities. Making a difference in the church through grit and determination. Playing your part in the life of the church instead of just turning up to consume what others put on for you. Hanging on in the workplace, trusting that God is at work for good. Doing your best through the love that you're able to share in a difficult family situation. Diligently praying and praying and praying that that struggle will go away. This is the way of the one who comes to us riding on a donkey. This is the way of the Messiah. And we are called to go with him as pilgrims on a journey of self-giving. But will you? It breaks my heart, as many of you know, to see people avoiding following Jesus beyond Palm Sunday into the way of sacrifice. And I'm not saying that I've got it all wrapped up myself. But if we're serious about being pilgrims with Jesus, then there is no other route to take. But having said this, there is a great deal of encouragement. Because all that we have to do is follow the one who's walked the way of the cross already. And who now promises to walk this route again with us. Jesus made the greatest sacrifice of all so that we can give of ourselves for him. He gave himself in love so that we're free to give ourselves in love. He went before us on the way of cross to show us the way of self-giving actually and wonderfully and miraculously leads to life in all its fullness. It's only in giving lives like Jesus that we receive life with purpose and meaning and hope and a limitless future. Amen.